righty. Well, hey, after last week's uh, flying goat joke with Alan Kinney, you guys remember that one? Okay, Al and I, we thought it was funny, right, Al? Man, we were laughing up a storm. It was awesome. But apparently, Kenny didn't like it, okay? And I don't know if that has anything to do with him not being here today, but it actually works well with my joke, so thanks, Kenny. But anyway, so, so Kenny, he, he didn't like the joke, man. So he decided he needed to get away, not just from me. He needed to get away from me now, you know what I'm saying? And so he decided he was going to go fishing, okay? But not just any old fishing. He went to go Ice fishing, that's right, you were paying attention earlier. And you might think this is totally impossible here in Vegas to go ice fishing, but Kenny's a pretty determined guy, okay? He actually found a spot here in Las Vegas to go ice fishing, and once he found that spot, he, he got up real early in that morning, he went out there on that ice, he got his tent, set it up, he got his pick and his fishing rod, and he starts picking at the ice there, right? But then all of a sudden, he hears this big booming voice, there's no fish under the ice, so Kenny, he's, he's getting he's a little startled. And he's looking around, and, but he doesn't hear anything, so he starts picking at the ice again. And then all of a sudden, he hears the voice again. There's no fish under the ice. And so Kenny, he's getting a little bit edgy, and, and so he looks up and he goes, God, is, is that you? And then he hears nothing again, so he starts picking again. And then all of a sudden, he hears that voice again, even louder. There's no fish under the ice. And so Kenny, he yells out in terror, God, God, is that you? No, it's the manager of the ice rink. <laughs> he found a spot, Ron, to go ice fishing. That is one determined guy. You got to give it to him, okay? But uh, apparently that's what he gets for trying to ditch me and Al, you know what I'm saying? But anyway, that's right. But uh, how many of you guys would say that Kenny needs some help? Oh, you know what I'm saying? That's just a given in a, in a loving sense, okay? And that's apparently what he gets for trying to escape from me and Al, okay? But, uh, but folks, believe it or not, did you know the Bible says one day the whole planet is going to try to escape some serious trouble. And the Bible says that's going to happen just like that at the rapture of the church, okay? And the reason why the Bible is clear that people are going to try to run and hide uh, and, and escape is because the Bible is clear for those who refuse to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, they're going to be catapulted into the seven-year tribulation, and that is not a joke. As we've been seeing, it's an outpouring of God's wrath on a wicked and rebellious planet. Jesus said in Matthew 24, that time frame is going to be the worst time in mankind's history. The word that's used to describe there is horror, like a horror flick. But this is real. This ain't make-believe. And that unless God was merciful and shortened that time frame, the entire human race would be destroyed. Okay? But praise God, as we've been seeing, God's not just a God of wrath, which again is not a bad thing. I have to reiterate that. That means God is putting an end to all the injustice and evil and rottenness that goes on today. That's a good thing, okay? But praise God, he's a God of love as well. And because he loves you and I, he's given us so many warning signs to let us know when it's getting close. Yes, we don't know the exact day or the exact hour, but God loves us and tells us when these things are getting close. Therefore, in order to keep you and I here at sunrise from experiencing the ultimate bad day, even worse, believe it or not, than going ice fishing with Kenny Johnson in Las Vegas. We're going to continue in our study called The Final Countdown. We've already seen. John, you just want to come on up here and get your debut and just tell everybody. Beverly, you want to? You got, you got your notes? Yeah, I'll get you up here. You know what I'm saying? We've already seen on the uh, Final Countdown study, the number 10 sign was Jewish people. Number 9 sign was modern technology. Number 8, worldwide upheaval. And it's getting silent as we go. Uh, the 7th sign is the rise of falsehood. The number 6 sign is the rise of wickedness. And the number 5 sign is the rise of apostasy. And the last two times, if you were here, we saw the 4th sign was the rise of a one world religion. Okay? And what we've been seeing is that God lovingly foretold you and I 
uh, that when we see all the world's religions on the planet coming together as one, which is happening right now today all over the world, thanks in part to the lie of interfaithism, and last time ecumenicalism, which is a watering down of God's truth just so we could just come together and, and, and do these things. We just need to love one another. We just need to tolerate one another, i.e. never judge anything. And we just need to rethink this God thing and that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Why? So we can come together and bring peace to this planet and form a one world religion. Really? I don't think so. That's part of the Antichrist kingdom and you don't want to be there. Jesus Christ is the only one who's going to bring peace uh, to the planet. He is the Prince of Peace. But that's not all. The fourth way that the ecumenical movement is getting you and I, even in the church, gets even worse today, folks, to fall for this lie of going along with a one world religion is getting us to repeat this lie. Hey, we just need to blend. You know what I'm saying? Isn't that, we just, if we just love one another, it, it just tolerate, which means don't ever judge. And just rethink this thing. Be open-minded that Jesus isn't the only way, even though that's what he said. Just skip over that part, John. Just blend together, huh? I mean, come on. I mean, don't you guys just want to work together? Can we all just get along? I mean, haven't you heard? I mean, we are the world. We are God's children. We'll make this place a brighter place if we just start blending. Huh? I know, Beverly, don't quit my day job. But uh, uh, hey, it's Vegas. You got to try this once in a while. You know what I'm saying? Okay, but seriously, wasn't anybody paying attention to the Michael Jackson Memorial? I'm telling you, they're using all kinds of events as a global excuse to promote a global religion. I'm going to share with you a little clip from that memorial, and you tell me, folks, if they're not using that as a platform to push this one world religion concept, even amongst Christians, okay? Pay attention to the background and the symbols and the message that they're sharing. Let's take a look uh, at that today. if you actually saw that but now that you know how they're going about it and what all the symbolism means what did they use that memorial as a platform for to promote a one world religion we just what we just we're all god's children 
We just need to blend. We just need to love, right? It's the same message we've been talking about. They're snookering you and I, even the church into it. And what they do is they take these global events where they can get a global audience from, and they're hijacking them and using them to promote a one world religion. Now, if you also recall, I was shocked by this because, I, again, I came out of the New Age. I was a promoter of this one world religion before I got saved. I was shocked at the memorial service for 9-11. You guys remember that, what was going on there? They did the exact same thing. They used that as a platform to promote a one world religion. Let's just recap. President Bush pointed out that 9-11 was a day of infamy. But if you were paying attention, that's not all he said. He said that it was a spiritual event with spiritual implications. Okay, and he only hinted at what those might be, okay? The first inkling came a few days later when they had the services held from 9-11. Did you watch those? And it was the Washington Cathedral, okay? And what did you see there? We saw clerics from Christianity, Judaism, Islam present themselves in full regalia. They were, listen, fully unanimous in their assertion, quote, we all worship the same God. No, we don't, okay? Go back and look at it if you can find the tape. And this was again repeated by Oprah Wan Kenobi. Remember she had the prayer service at Yankee Stadium? Okay, she did the same thing. And there, if you saw that one, folks, we were treated by prayers and so-called words of wisdom from Protestant preachers, Catholic cardinals, Eastern Orthodox bishops, Islamic imams or priests, Jewish rabbis, and Hindu clerics. But strangely missing from all these services were, guess who? Christian fundamentalists, evangelical Christianity. The omissions were deliberate because we cannot go along with the goals of a one-world religion. This is where we're heading, Lord willing, the next couple studies. And now fundamentalist groups, you and I, okay, which do not fit into the mold of a one world religion are going to be marginalized. We're going to be isolated. We're going to be called cults. And actually, we're being called worse than that. We'll get to that, Lord willing, in a future study. And we're going to start to be wiped out. We're going to become the new terrorists. Pay attention, folks. They've already started the verbiage. While liberal Christianity, you know the six-week study we did on the rise of apostasy, the fake Christianity, which only Christianity in name only, those guys are going to become the new progressive Christianity, the true Christianity, and they're going to go light right along with it, those are going to become the acceptable Christians. It's the old switcheroo. And Lord willing, again, uh, we're going to see that, and I'll explain that in greater detail, what I believe is clear the plan. But folks, as you can see, there's one big problem with this thing. Yes, it's politically correct. Yes, it's all fuzzy and warm. If we just love one another and just start blending, we're all God's children, then we can have peace and blah, blah, blah. But the problem is this. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible is very clear of what you're supposed to do to people who teach things contrary to the word of God. You're supposed to stay away from them. In fact, if they keep it up, you're supposed to kick them out of the church. I didn't say that. God did. Open your Bibles to our opening text, Romans 16. Romans 16, you don't blend. Okay, Romans 16, we're going to read just a few verses here. And uh, Romans, of course, was written to... Romans. Romans. One of you is waking up, praise God. That's right. Romans, chapter 16, verses 16 through 8. Now, the context of this chapter, obviously, this is the final chapter... And so Paul, as is typical, he sends his final greetings, okay? That's the way that they did it back then. You and I today do our greetings, you know, kind of at the beginning, they, they kind of did the opposite fashion. So he sent his greetings there at the end, and we're going to see that a little bit. It's important for Christians to greet one another, you know, to, to like each other, to hang out with each other, to shake a hand once in a while. What a concept. Isn't that neat? He says, but as you gather together, not only greet one another as Christians, you need to watch out for something else. Because not everybody who comes into your fold is a Christian, okay? Pay attention to what he says. He says this, Romans 16, verse 16, Paul says this, Now greet one another with a holy kiss. How many guys are just itching me to say, Now turn to somebody next to you and do just... No, come on, you guys need to understand the culture. He's talking about, we would use the vernacular today as Christians, uh, give each other a holy handshake or a holy hug or something like that. Uh, back in the Eastern culture, they still do it today, they kind of... 
kiss on each side of the cheek, you know, nothing like that, okay? But we're supposed to like each other and greet one another, not ignore one another. And he says, so, so give each other one a holy kiss there. In fact, all the churches of Christ send their greetings. Yay, we're supposed to be united. We're one, and this is awesome. He says, but notice the word there, I urge you. In other words, you better pay attention to this, man. This is serious stuff. Yes, you're supposed to hang out with one another and greet one another as Christians, but I urge you, you better what? You be, at the same time, you better watch out for those who cause what? Divisions in the church. And they put obstacles in your way. How? By uh, the things that are contrary to the teaching that you have learned. They introduce them. What are you supposed to do with those people? Blend with them? We are the world. No, you're supposed to keep away from them. Why? For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery. Can I, can I, can I translate it a little bit? By Michael Jackson memorial videos. They what? Smooth talk. They deceive the minds of naive people. They come in and they snooker you even in the church is what's going on there, okay? Folks, I don't want you to be naive. Hello, as your pastor. And that's why I want to remind you what the Bible clearly tells to you and I that yes, of course, we're supposed to be nice to one another as Christians. We don't ignore one another. We greet one another. Yes, of course, that's common sense. Okay, but when it comes to those who are causing division in the church, when it comes to those who are introducing things that are contrary to what the Bible says, what are we supposed to do with those people? You keep away from them. Titus chapter 3, verse 10, I believe, he says, in fact, if they keep it up, you're supposed to kick them out of the church. You don't give them a holy hug. You skip over the holy handshake, you give them a holy kick, right? The church is supposed to be pure, including pure when it comes to God's word, okay? We kick them out of the church because they're teaching things that are contrary to the truth, and it's they who are the ones who are stirring up trouble, okay? Now, listen, I said all that to get to this. This is exactly what the ecumenical movement is trying to convince you and I in the church to not do. They say that when it comes to these people promoting this thing contrary to the word of God called a one world religion, that Jesus is not the only way, that we should not kick these people out of the church. You need to give them a voice. I mean, come on, are you a bigot? Are you intolerant? I mean, are you afraid? Shouldn't you have an open mind? And they tell us that we should not stay away from them. We need to blend together with them. And we can bring peace to this planet, okay? And for those of you who think that this could never happen in evangelical Christianity... You think, well, of course, it's going to happen to liberal Christianity because we saw they're going to go with apostasy. They're going to go along with it. Listen, it's already snuck into the church. In fact, it's so popular today that they actually have a term for it. It's called salad bar religion. And I'm talking about in Christianity, evangelical Christianity. This guy says this. He says salad bar religion denotes the trend where people pick and choose uh, religious beliefs and doctrines and practices Mixing and matching them as much as they would like food in a cafeteria. You know, I'll take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, I'll do, you know, okay? And he says, here's the problem. This is not just popular among non-Christians, but among people who consider themselves to be Christians. He says, people borrow from different traditions. They add to them whatever religion they're used to. But they don't want anything to do with organized religion. Okay, he says Americans are now writing their own Bible. They're fashioning their own God. More often than not, the God they choose is more like a best friend who has endless time for their needs, no matter how trivial. Scholars call this, listen, domesticating God. And we're turning him into a social planner, a therapist, a guardian angel. We have trivialized God. And we assume that God is the butler who serves you for one reason, to give you a happy life. Listen, he says we've turned him in to the divine Prozac. That's what's happening in the church, okay? And again, you guys say, well, come on. There's just no way, Pastor Billy, that this is, I'm, folks, I'm telling you, we have been snookered by the ecumenical movement. 
Under the guise of being politically correct, under the guise of being popular, they have got us to listen. They get us to think that we're broadening the gospel, making it better. For No, we're redefining the gospel. We're compromising the gospel. We're actually being tricked into redefining what it means to be a Christian. And now those who do what the Bible says you're supposed to do to take a stance on correct teaching, right doctrine, are the ones who are being labeled as divisive and unloving. It's the complete reversal of the text. And again, folks, I'm telling you, this is happening all over the place. Let me give you some proof. I don't have to, I can spend the whole sermon just on this point, okay? Let me give you some proof that how the American church is going along with this one world religion. They're blending together with other religions instead of staying pure. And we're gonna start right here at home in Las Vegas. Did you know they just had this last fall the 25th annual Interfaith Forum? That's how long it's been going on, 25 years. Let's take a look at what they were doing briefly at that, at that uh, forum. Let's take a look. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Hi. Our panelists this evening are, first of all, representing Islam, Dr. Aslam Abdullah, who is the director of the Islamic Society of Nevada. Then we'll be hearing from our Episcopal representative, Reverend Dr. Jim Wallace, from Grace in the Desert Episcopal Church. Following Jim will be Mr. Teji Malik, representing the Sikh faith from the Gurdwara, Baba Deep Singh Ji. From humanism, we have Mr. Mel Lippman, who's the immediate past president of the American Humanist Association Union. From the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Mrs. Ruth Johnson is here, and if I'm, in addition to be a community activist, she's on the board or the public public <coughs> affairs committee. Is that right? Yes, of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and representing the Baha'i faith is Mrs. Elham Pomasti. First of all, we assume that our religious beliefs are our most deeply held beliefs, and as such. We do not try to change the beliefs of others. There's no debate, there's no, no challenging, there's no defending uh, one's belief in this environment. There's no proselytizing. It's not just Las Vegas, there's a, it's happening in evangelical Christianity. You can go to Texas, the Global Faith Forum kicked off Thursday in Texas. Hundreds of Christians, Muslims, Jews, Hindus, Buddhists, atheists convened at Northwoods uh, Church in Texas in an effort to just try to understand one another. Okay, excuse me, representatives from the Jewish, Catholic, Protestant, Baha'i, Mormon, Sikh, Vedic, Druid, even the Muslims in Sacramento read their scriptures together, including six verses from the Quran. Uh, and they were calling for all faiths to live in harmony. Again and again, they uttered the refrain, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Let there be a one world religion and let it begin with me. That's what's going on, folks. The Bible warned us about it. A bishop is now urging Christians to call God Allah. The Catholic leader believes it would help ease the tension between the religions. I mean, come on, we just got to blend. You got to stop. You got to. Folks, this is all happening in the news if you take a look at what's going on. Christians are now celebrating their religious diversity on Pentecost Sunday. Hey, it's not too late, folks. Christian churches across the United States are dedicating their worship to the celebration of the interfaith world. Listen to this. Here's the new term progressive Christians. Don't you want to be one? <sighs> no. Okay, but that's the popular term. You're a progressive Christian. You're not those old-fashioned people, that religion. And, okay, they thank God for religious diversity. Quote, we don't claim that our religion is superior to all others. These are people claiming to be Christians. Okay, 
we can grow closer to God and deeper in compassion and we can understand our own traditions better through a greater awareness of the world's religions. And it's sponsored by the Center of Progressive Christianity and they call it Pluralism Sunday. It's happening across America. Hundreds of churches, folks, will be promoted throughout the churches and they're going to throw in a little binny for you. You get free publicity if you join on uh, to their uh, Progressive Christianity, so uh, quote-unquote. And uh, it's going to be a great evangelism opportunity, okay? Uh, don't share the gospel, do this. And the reason why is because they're touting, we've got 40,000 people visiting our website every single month. And they believe that Pluralism Sunday is an opportunity for progressive churches to reach other people, listen to their quote, who are turned off by Christianity because of exclusivist claims some Christians make about it. You know, Jesus is the only way. Did we make that up? Christians, Christ followers, Jesus made that up. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, you got to stick to what he said. They're rewriting everything, folks. It's going on all the place. Many born-again Christians are now holding universalist views. Another a research poll, that's called Salabar religion. I quoted that to you earlier. One in four born-again Christians believe that all people are eventually saved or accepted by God. Is that true? These are people in America right now who are saying they're Christians. A similar proportion, 26%, said a person's religion doesn't matter because all faiths teach the same lessons. Hey, apparently that Michael Jackson video worked out pretty good for brainwashing people. Uh, even higher proportion, 40% of born-again Christians said they believe that Christians and Muslims worship the same God. These are people saying that they're Christians, okay? This is the problem. Claremont School of Theology, this is a seminary, listen, has launched a new program to train its leaders, quote, not all Christians, Jews, and Muslims believe that their way is the only way. And they say that Christians, Muslims, and Jews will now have the opportunity to take classes together to learn about each other's religious traditions, to study topics that deal specifically with interfaith issues, and to build bridges through our coursework, uh, coursework that assist them, listen, our society's future religious leaders. This is at the seminary level. These are the guys who are training the new up-and-coming pastors. And what they say, we're going to put you through this one world religion program because you're going to become our new society's future leaders. They're preparing people in seminaries right now to go along with a one world religion. That's how far we've slid. And dozens of churches are now promoting Islam from Denver to Idaho to San Francisco, Honolulu. Here's the message they say they're sending, quote, both here at home and to the Arab and Muslim world about our respect for Islam with a time to read the Quran during our worship services. The Interfaith Alliance of Human Rights First is calling on Christian clergy to read portions of the Quran during their services this Sunday. Hey, I'll give you my answer. No. Okay, you cannot do that, folks. But this is all politically correct. We just got to love. We just got to tolerate. We just got to rethink this whole exclusivist thing. We, we, we just got to blend, okay? But that's not all. Churches are now letting Muslims use their facilities. Heart Song Church in Memphis uh, is using, letting them to do the Ramadan prayers. Uh, United Methodist Church in Alexandria, Virginia is letting them hold the regular prayer we need in this facility. But I like what this guy said. He said, hello, is this what we Christians should be doing? I don't think so. Let's take a look at that real quick. Two Protestant churches are taking some heat for opening their church buildings to Muslims needing a place to worship because their own facilities were either too small or under construction. Some see it as a Christian duty. Others disagree. We're back with Governor Huckabee with more on this. So is this counter run against everything these churches stand for? Well, you know, as much as I respect the autonomy of each local church, you just wonder, what are they thinking? I mean, if the purpose of a church is to... Uh, 
push forth the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then you have a Muslim group that says that Jesus Christ and all the people who follow him are a bunch of infidels who should be essentially obliterated, I guess I have a hard time understanding that. I mean, if a church is nothing more than a facility and a meeting place free for any and all viewpoints without regard to what it is, then should the church be rented out to show adult movies uh, on the weekend? I mean, where, where does this end? How far does it go? Your duty is to love them enough to tell them that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Their way is wrong, and they need to get saved now. That's your Christian duty. Okay? Well, let's continue on. It gets even worse. That's not all. We now have churches removing their crosses to become what's called more inclusive. Now, pay attention to that term. Okay? You need to be an inclusive Christian. Not, not exclusive, right? Okay? Now, here's one example. C3 Exchange. That's the new name. They were formerly known as Christ Community Church. The Reverend Ian Lawton, the church's pastor, said the name change and the removing of the cross was designed to reflect the church's diverse members. Okay? He said, our community has been really open-minded for some years now, and we've had a number of Muslim people, Jewish people, Buddhists, atheists, just catching up to ourselves. Listen to the state from the pastor. Supposed to be Christians. Listen, we honor the cross, but the cross is just one symbol of our community. That, that Michael Jackson video, it's just really seemed to be working or something. That, excuse me? In fact, folks, they were so excited about it. Woo, taking the cross off. They even videotaped it. Watch this. Here's just a little thing. You just, just even watching it, it's just, it's, it's amazing. Take a, take a look. There she goes. Yep, that's how you show love to your neighbors. Folks, I saw that, and I really think that that is a spiritual, spiritual event in our country. I, 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 really, I really think that it symbolizes what is wrong with our country right now. We have been for years been removing the cross of Jesus Christ from our courtrooms, from our classrooms. You can't even say it now in the military without even getting in trouble and all this stuff and all this antagonism. And we'll get to that, Lord willing, in a couple of weeks. But we have now even got to the point where we are actually literally removing the cross of Christ in the church. And I think we're paying a heavy price for it, okay? But here's the point in showing that. That's just the tip of the iceberg, folks. Sure looks to me like uh, people, even Christians, are blending together with other religions. And if we just love one another and tolerate and blend and rethink, we can create peace on the planet and a one-world religion. And the Bible says that's exactly what's going to happen when you're living in the last days. It's happening now, folks. I'm not making this up. But that's not the fifth way that the ecumenical movement is getting you and I to fall for this lie of a one-world religion is to get us to repeat this lie. Hey, you just need to submit. You know what I'm saying? Just, just submit to this. Would you, Tom, would you stop resisting? What, what, are you, what are you, just one of those fundamentalist wackos? Are you a right-wing extremist, huh? What are you, an exclusivist? Tom, in fact, I'm, listen, I'm trying to be patient with you. I'm trying to be nice. But if you don't knock it off, I'm going to take you out. You see, that's actually where we're headed, folks. I didn't say that. God did. Here, the Bible tells us what's going to happen to the resistors of the one-world religion movement let's take a look at that text revelation chapter 17 talks about the one world religion harlot the woman that rides the beast here's just a piece of that text there revelation 17 1 through 2 and 5 through 6 says this one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came to me and said come and i will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters 
With her, notice it's a female, her, the kings of the earth committed adultery. And the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated. Wine of her adulteries. Oh, man, it just, we're intoxicated. We just love and tolerate. And how could you not go along? They're intoxicated with this lie, okay? And the name that was written on her forehead uh, was a mystery. Babylon the Great. The what? The mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people. The blood of those who bore testimony to who? To Jesus. You know that he's the only way to heaven. But folks, the Bible clearly says that this one world religious system is not only going to seduce the world's government and the people, they're going to become intoxicated with this idea. Okay, the Bible's clear about that. Other places we saw that this one world religious system is going to work with uh, the Antichrist, okay, and, and join together, okay? But you also saw that it clearly says for those who would have the audacity to resist this politically correct movement, this panacea to provide peace to the planet, what's going to happen? This one world religion entity is going to be drunk with your blood. In other words, it's coming to that point. If you don't submit to this, you're going to die. If you don't submit to this, you're going to die. And folks, as creepy as, that, uh, as it sounds, that's exactly uh, what the Bible says. Jesus also said in Matthew 24, it's going to get to the point again where all the nations are going to hate you because of me. That's what we're headed for, folks, okay? Now, what's even creepier than that is just how close we are to the fulfillment of that passage. If you were paying attention, folks, to the one world religion, Revelation 17, you need to have three things, at least three things in place in order for that passage to be fulfilled, okay? Let's recap. You need a woman figure, so to speak, to represent the world's religions, right? Why? Because it says she's a woman that rides the beast. She's the mother of prostitutes, right? Seducing this world system. Two, you need an antichrist figure to work with because she rides the beast or the antichrist working together with him, okay, with the governments and seducing them along to that. And three, you need some sort of global authority system to punish those who don't obey, right? Folks, I'm here to tell you all three are on the verge of being fulfilled. And the first one, let's just hit him down the line, is the woman figure. Folks, believe it or not, we are already seeing how you and I, even in the church, are being conditioned to move away from what's called a male patriarchal deity, a male god, to a female God, okay? And it's happening even in the church. Let's take a look again, folks, at the quotes from feminism and what they're promoting in evangelical Christianity, folks. They're trying to get us to switch to a female deity. Uh, Mary Daly, who considers herself to be a Christian feminist, okay, says this about traditional Christianity. Quote, to put it bluntly, I propose that Christianity itself should be castrated. The primary focus of the Christian feminist is to bring an end to what they perceive as the male-dominated religion. She continued by saying, I am suggesting that the idea of salvation uniquely by a male savior, Jesus, listen, perpetuates the problem of patriarchal oppression. Oh, it gets worse. Uh, the website for Ebenezer Lutheran Church in San Francisco, check it out, herchurch.org, okay? On Wednesday nights, they open their sanctuary for the Christian goddess rosary, and they say, quote, the exclusive emphasis of God as father supports a domination structure that oppresses and subordinates women. They also encourage people to pray the Hail Goddess Prayer that states, Hail Goddess, full of grace. Blessed are you and blessed are all the fruits of your womb for you are, listen, look at the capitals, mother of us all. 
just like in the Revelation 17 text. Very interesting, uh, folks. Uh, Jan Clanton, she's the author of God, a word for girls and boys. She says, masculine God language hinders many children from establishing relationships of trust with God. In addition, calling God he causes boys to commit the sin of arrogance. Okay, is what she says. And calling the supreme power of the universe, he causes girls to commit the sin of devaluing themselves. For the sake of these little ones, we must change the way we talk about God. Excuse me? Oh, but that's not one of the hottest books out. It's called The Shack. They're doing Bible studies in churches over this thing. If you pay attention, folks, it's not only New Age and Doctrine, but that thing represents God, guess what? As a woman. And it's being promoted as a wonderful resource in the church. Excuse me? Well, folks, I'm here to tell you that the church, as you can see, is being prepared to accept a female deity to make that switch. But feminism is not the only one trying to get us to change to this female deity of Revelation 17. If you think about it, other religions are already ready to go. Right? Think about this, folks. Catholicism has their worship of Mary. That's a female figure. Environmentalism has the worship of Mother Earth. Right? Eastern religions have their yin-yang principle of the male-female duality system. Hinduism has their worship of the goddess Shiva. And even Wicca or witchcraft has their goddess worship as well. In fact, what's wild, this is like, this stuff just writes itself. And and folks, if you're paying attention, once we go through this and you see all the symbolism, you see what they're up to, I'm telling you, I'm not a prophet nor the son thereof, but I'm telling you, you're going to start to see this stuff all over the place. Here's what's wild. A woman figure, a woman deity, the woman that rides the beast. The European Union has picked out their new symbol. Anybody want to guess what it is? Actual photographs, folks, you can see it today, live from sunrise. Uh, There you go. On their coins, on their magazine covers, that's a phone card down there. That's another coin, and that's uh, some of the statues and the figures uh, representing the European Union. What is that? Of all things, it's a woman riding a beast. I wonder if one of those things is what God gave the Apostle John to foresee in the future, and he's trying his best to describe it, because that's what he's doing. It's like, that's this woman riding a beast. Interesting. Of all things for them to pick, that's that. And if you don't think this is going to be lapped into all the governments in the world and creating this one world religion, this, this cooperation, listen to what the European Union is also doing, folks. Here's another one. As you can see there, we can all share the same star. It's called Europe for All. Take a look at the star and what is in the symbols. What's in the star? What's it made up of? All the different religious symbols across the planet. Folks, we're getting so close, it's not even funny. We are being prepared right now to go along with this female deity system, a woman that rides the beast. Okay, but that's not all. The second fulfillment that has to take place in this passage, and I believe it's on the verge of doing so, is the Antichrist figure, right? If you're paying attention to Revelation 17 there, you don't need just a female deity, but you've got to have an antichrist figure for this female deity to work with, right? And if you paid attention earlier in our study, we saw that the antichrist figure, obviously, is going to be a political figure, okay? A male figure uh, involved in politics, if you will, okay? And it's going to get to the point where this male political figure is actually worshipped as a god during the seven-year tribulation, right? But man, aren't you guys glad we see absolutely no signs of people worshipping a political figure as a god? Yes, the sarcasm is thick today at Sunrise Baptist Church. Uh, Excuse me? We saw, I'm going to recap a little bit what we saw before, but there's some new stuff that's out, and they're getting really blatant. They're calling a political figure of a man God. 
This is wild. Take a look at this video. Obama's had really a different task. Uh, we we were seen too often as the bad guys, and he he has a very different job from from Reagan was all about America, and you talked about it. Obama is we are above that now. We're not just parochial. We're not just chauvinistic. We're not just provincial. We stand for something. I mean, in a way, Obama's standing above the country, above above the world. He's sort of God. He's Oh, but that's not all. As we saw before, folks, an artist in Iowa created an inaugural parade of Barack Obama riding on the donkey, making his own triumphal entry, complete with the doors, waving palm fronds with the Secret Service escort. That's a mockery of the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. Excuse me? And then we also saw this. This is the actual photo. Another artist planned to unveil this portrait of Barack Obama in a Christ-like pose with the crown of thorns on his head at New York City's Union Square Park to mark his 100th day in office. Excuse me? And again, I'm not saying he's the actual Antichrist. My point is this. We are seeing for the first time in our history, even here in America, that people are worshiping a political figure of a man as literally as if he were God. That's the point. Don't get sidetracked. But that's not all. Newsweek. It's not by chance what they put out there, folks, in the media. What do they have? A picture of Barack Obama again? And what's the caption? The second coming. That's referred to Jesus Christ. Oh, I love this. What's at the top? Women shall save Europe. Woman rides the beast. Say, it, I'm telling you, nothing is by chance. Another one from Newsweek had him as being the God of all things. Are you paying attention? It's out there. Worse being a political figure as a God. But that's still not all. Unless you think it's a big quinky dink, take a look at what this person said. How you could say this without lightning striking you, I don't know. Let, let's take a look at this. First of all, give an honor to God and our Lord and Savior, Barack Obama. If you can't see that just once, you got to watch that again. Let's take a look. First of all, give an honor to God and our Lord and Savior, Barack Obama. Who in the world would have thought that there'd ever come a day when we would see somebody, even here in America, call a political figure of a man God, our Lord and Savior. But it's happening now. And that's what the Bible says is going to happen. When the Antichrist comes on the scene, people are going to worship him in that same fashion. Okay? But that's not all. The third and final one that we're going to see in this passage of fulfillment of Revelation 17, if it's going to come to pass, then you have to have that global authority figure. Okay? You not only need the female deity, uh, you not only need an Antichrist for the female deity to work with, but you've got to have a global authority system uh, to punish those who resist. Right? Remember what the text said? She's going to be drunk with their blood. Right? And again, I am so glad that we see absolutely no signs of that happening okay i'll do it one more time al all right this stuff just writes itself it's everywhere as we saw before folks people are for the first time in history calling for a global authority figure to govern the religions on the planet okay let's take a look at just a couple of those again king abdullah of saudi arabia we saw this a couple weeks ago He's been planning for years, quote, to find a way to unite the world's major religions in an effort to help foster peace. And he believes that a new international organization will help make that dream a reality. You've got to have a strong arm for those people who don't go along with this. Chief Rabbi Yonah Metzger, one of the two chief rabbis of Israel, said, quote, we need a united relations of religions, which would contain representatives of the world's religions as opposed to uh, the nations okay just like the united nations functions to govern quote unquote the nations around the world they want a united nations of religions to govern the religions around the world to tell you what to do okay and speaking of the united nations folks they've already stepped into this role pay attention to this by promoting what's called a defamation of religions and folks believe it or not they're proposing to make christianity 
and the proclamation of the gospel illegal across the planet right now in the United Nations, okay? Take a look. It was exposed before. I don't know how many of you guys caught it. Let's take a look at the report. Hi, this is Jay Sekulow at the American Center for Law and Justice. I've just gotten off the air. I'm here in our radio studios, but I wanted to bring you this very important update. I have just authorized and established uh, today sending our teams to New York, uh, to the United Nations. Here, what's happening. We're sending lawyers from our Washington, D.C. office, our government affairs office as well, as well as our New York City office, which, by the way, is just a couple of blocks from the United Nations. We're going there because the U.N. is going to be considering a resolution from an organization called the OIC. That's the Organization of the Islamic Conference. They are the largest group inside of the U.N. They represent over 47 countries, all of them Islamic. They are trying to criminalize anyone who speaks out against Islam. In other words, by, quote, defaming Islam, if you say Jesus is the way of salvation, that would be deemed an act of defamation. And what they're trying to do is get a U.N. resolution that says that speaking out against Islam would be a violation of international law. In effect, this would be criminalizing the proclamation of the gospel. What they'll do is they'll come and they'll threaten you by saying, you don't do this, we're going to take your kids because your belief system is threatening their well-being. Don't believe me? The U.N. also is starting to address that as well. Let's take a look. Right now, the United States is one of only two countries in the world that is not signed onto a treaty that very well may get the government involved in how you raise your kids. Why haven't we heard about this? Let's ask Mike Ferris. He's a constitutional lawyer, chancellor of Patrick Henry College in Virginia, and founder of the Homeschool Legal Defense Association and a leading advocate of parental rights. Mike, why haven't we heard about, uh, about this treaty that's uh, being proposed? Well, it's been sitting in limbo uh, ever since 1995. The political climate simply wasn't right uh, for it to be sent to the Senate for ratification. Madeleine Albright, on behalf of the Clinton administration, did sign it in 95. But the time is right now. The uh, Obama administration, particularly uh, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton and Barbara Boxer in the Senate, believe that this is their hour. And it's probably going to be coming up for ratification either this fall or maybe next spring. But sometime in this session of Congress, we're going to see this U.N. treaty that tells all parents uh, and children how their lives will be governed through the U.N. by the United States government. I mean, this would be huge. And we're not hearing about it, Mike. So, first of all, to the skeptic. Right. Now, how do I know this is really going to make a difference in, in the way the case law could be applied? Are there any instances in the past where uh, children have sort of uh, maybe taken on their parents in a, in a courtroom setting? In Washington State, for a number of years, they had a state law that paralleled the U.N. Convention on the Rights of the Child. It's since been repealed, but when I was a lawyer in Washington State, a 13-year-old boy uh, went to the social workers through his public school counselors and complained that his parents took him to church too much. They went Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night prayer meeting. The social workers were outraged about this amount of church, and they removed the boy on an emergency basis. Normally, took him out of his own home. Out of his own home on an emergency, which is, for child abuse, serious matters. The 72-hour hearing came along three days later. I was the, the lawyer for the families. The only issue in the case was how much church. And the judge said, you know what? I think once a week is enough church for any 13-year-old boy. And if you want to keep custody of your son, you've got to agree to take him to church only once a week. Not child abuse. Church services. Who would have thought also in our nation's history where we'd actually get to the point where some global authority would tell us when we could and could not take our children to church services as Christians and how many otherwise they're going to come and take them away. 
Folks, that global authority system is in place. If you don't submit to this one day, the Bible says you are going to pay the ultimate price. She's going to be drunk with your blood. Where have I heard that before? Okay. And folks, this is what the Bible says is going to happen if you just happen to be in that generation. You're living in the last days. And the point is this. What more does God got to do to get our attention? This is not a game. This is real. This is really going on. I didn't spend all week faking these videos. Right? This is happening all time in the news. But praise God, folks, he doesn't want us to go into the seven-year tribulation. He certainly doesn't want us to go into hell. And so that's why out of love, he's given us all these signs of this one-world religion movement to show us the tribulation is near, which means the second coming of Jesus Christ, who will bring peace to this planet, is around the corner. And that's why he said this, Luke 21, 28, when these things begin to take place. And you see all these things lining up. What are you supposed to do, Christian? Oh, freak out. No. If you love Jesus and you know what he saved us for, you should be beside yourself in excitement. Woo, he's coming back. And all this baloney and all this antichrist and where you have the audacity to say you're going to take away my kids for taking them to a worship service for Jesus Christ. You're the loser. You're not going to win. That should excite us, folks, because Jesus Christ is coming back for his church, okay? That's the attitude we need to have. And on top of that, the Bible's clear. If you're here today as a Christian, it's time to get busy. Hello, we have no more cushion time left. We do not have the liberty to continue to beat each other up. We better start working together and make a difference while we can as Christians and love our friends and our family and our coworkers, even these people behind the scenes. Love them enough to tell them that Jesus Christ is still, even after all that you've done, willing to save you completely and take you to heaven. That's our Christian duty, right? The enemy's got us snookered. He's got us fighting each other. We're fighting the wrong battle. We've got to come together as his church and get motivated on the right things. But if you're here today and you're not a Christian, hey, I beg you, please heed the signs, heed the warnings. This is not a game. You need to give your life to Jesus Christ now. The Bible says that God is the one who determines the length of our lives and we are not given a moment longer. And if you've fallen for this lie, the one world religion movement, even though it sounds wonderful, it definitely tickles your ears, it sounds fluffy, it's politically correct, it's a lie from the pit of hell. There is only one way out of this mess. His name is Jesus Christ. Take the way out today because the alternative is this. It's not just that you're not going to heaven. The Bible is clear. Jesus talked about it twice as much as he did heaven because he loved people. You're going to hell. And folks, hell, I'm telling you, is the last place you ever want to go, especially when you didn't have to go there if you would only receive the gift of eternal life through Jesus. We'll close in prayer after this. Contrary to the father of lies, though, God's word describes hell as a place where God pours out his wrath upon the wicked. God's word declares, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who rendered every man according to his deeds. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil. God's word speaks of a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and of raging fire which consumes the enemies of God. Severe punishment, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Will hell be a good time?
Contrary to the father of lies, hell will not be a place of friendship and rock music, but of misery and darkness and isolation. The only thing you will hear from others are their cries of torment. Jesus Christ warned the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Bible speaks of the wicked for whom the black darkness has been reserved. Contrary to Sting's video, God's word declares that there is no rest for the wicked in hell. The book of Revelation states, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. Jesus said of the day of judgment, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. God's word says that he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. Hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die... And it's coming for each one of us. We're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so, out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law, or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, You shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. 
The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included, and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you of your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. 
Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.